Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. For this episode, we had the pleasure of being joined by Christian Putz, who is the founder of ARR Partners Investments based in London. In this episode, Christian discusses how his love of investing started in his youth, how the 2008-9 Russian bear market shaped his investment approach, as well as two companies he's bullish on. Before we begin, every so often we'll be doing write-ups about stocks from around the world that have piqued our interest. These will mostly be companies on the small end of the market cap scale that go under the radar of most financial media. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, visit capitalemployed.substack.com and add your email to the list. That's capitalemployed.substack.com. Okay, let's dive into this week's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Christian. Hi Christian, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hey Chan, thanks for inviting. It's really a pleasure. Can you provide a brief introduction to yourself and ARR Investment Partners? Yes, sure. So uh, I'm Christian, Christian Putz. I'm originally from uh, Austria. Now I started investing at the age of 17 in 1997 when the internet boom was going on. And you have to know that I'm from a relatively modest family in Austria. Like my father was a bus driver, my mom a housewife. We have a little farm in the mountains. So I was fascinated by the stock market. And so early on, I made quite some uh, good returns. I made 1,500% on Qualcomm. And at the age of 19, I had about 100,000 uh, US dollars, you know, inflation adjusted. Uh, in, in profit, starting with a very small amount of about uh, 5,000. That really um, was the beginning how everything began, because obviously if that early age, you make a lot of money, uh, you hooked up, I would say, and then also allows you, and I think what is probably even more important to think uh, in terms of you know what you want to do with less limitations. You really think then, okay, uh, given that you know you made so much money early on, many things are possible in life, right? And I think that's very crucial, and that helped me a lot, uh, especially given my background, right? So after my studies, I then started working for a man group in Switzerland and in London. I worked in different roles in fund of a hedge fund division, in a credit division, in a VC division. That was quite interesting, especially given that I worked in a fund of hedge funds, so I had access to the to the top performing hedge funds, their strategies, risk management processes, etc. You know, obviously cherry picked uh, all the knowledge that I wanted to have and that I wanted to apply um, myself as well. One department I was working then as well was a credit division, and obviously, right at the bottom of the financial market in uh, in two thousand nine, this division more or less got shut down. That we managed at that time CDOs. I was fired at the end of the day, and I decided and quite spontaneously to go to Russia, learn the language there, and uh, I thought there are better opportunities uh, in in Russia. So I went there quite uh, spontaneously and uh, really became you know became an analyst at a, a Russian hedge fund, which is owned by an American investor relatively fast, became a portfolio manager. And most people might not know, 
but the Russian market was in a bear market from 2011 till the beginning of uh, 2016. So five years of bear market, the market crashed almost 75% during that time. Seven times the market crashed more than 20% within two months. And for me, this, this period really formed my investment approach because, you know, I had five years time to really learn how to make money on the short side, to protect capital. And at the end of the day, come up with an investment strategy that really works both in bull and bear markets. In end of 2015, then I decided to set up my own business uh, to manage my own money. And uh, I mean, I started out with one investor. That's how I really then set up uh, AR investment partners. Since then, I invest globally, but my core strength, I mean, what really sets me apart from, from most other managers is really our um, capital preservation and our performance in, uh, in difficult market environments. So, for example, in, in March 2020, when there was the COVID crisis, we had one of, or we had the best monthly return ever. I mean, we had a massive return. This year, we are having our best year ever. So it's really, when you look at our, you know, the, the 10 worst market drawdowns since 2015, then in six out of 10 cases, we had uh, positive returns. In the other cases, very minimal losses. So that's really what we do best. And uh, not only, obviously, but uh, that's, that's our, I would say, core strength. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about your um, investment approach in a bit more detail because you talk about stock rebounds, dynamic profit growth, bubbles and structural losers. Can you talk us through that a bit more? Yeah, sure. So the idea when I set up the, the strategy was really to perform well in, in all market cycles, right? We have long ideas and short ideas. Those situations we focus on are extreme situations, either extreme in terms of valuation or ex extreme in terms of growth. So when you look at stock rebounds or bubbles, we have the extreme in the valuation. Like bubbles, they're completely overvalued. Uh, with stock rebounds, we have opportunities where the share company valuation is extremely low. In dynamic profit growth situation or structural losses, it's in terms of growth. So we have very strong growth. Like, for example, BioNTech after their announcement that they found a COVID vaccine, a structure loses are companies that have a very, uh, very strong or negative growth, like uh, commercial real estate companies and so on. And the interesting thing about those opportunities is, given that they're so extreme, often the, the price does not yet reflect, I would say, reality, or it takes quite some time, right? When you think, for example, about uh, BioNTech, which came up with the COVID vaccine, right, one of the first, then, I mean, when you bought the stock at, at the announcement, right, I mean, you could make a lot of money over the coming year, right? That's really the beauty here that those, when you have those extremes, it takes some time and obviously it's uncorrelated. The upside when you're correct is very, very strong. And for that reason, that's really the area we focus on because we think the risk reward in those opportunities is really very good. And for each of those investment patterns, then we have distinct criteria 
that we or that those opportunities have to meet in order for us to invest there. So yeah, I mean, that's in general our focus, right? You were talking before about how you try to minimize your losses. How, how do you structure and manage your portfolio to do that? There are several layers of how we win, try to minimize our losses, right? Because the reality is you can, uh, there are several risks that you always incur. And for that reason, you can be wrong on several uh, layers. When you start with the most basic one, it's really that when we, when we buy a stock, we, we have those investment criteria, right? That are very strict or they became much more strict uh, over the coming years because you know, we have a global universe, right? For that reason, we can really come up just with the best ideas or use the best ideas. And uh, often what happens is really you incur losses because you're not strict enough on, on your criteria. The first is really the criteria. A very important aspect there is that we use both fundamental and technical criteria. I mean, we run a hedge fund strategy we are not allowed to make uh, big losses or our mandate is not to make big losses. That's what we you know, tell our investors. And for that reason, we are not those kind of investors like Warren Buffett that if a stock goes down 30, 40, 50%, he doesn't care. He buys more. That's not what we do. Uh, we really have to be right both on the fundamental, on the fundamental thesis, but the timing has as well to be right. For that reason, we look at technicals. And given that we still can be wrong there, we have a stop loss in place. So if we are wrong, then uh, we will sell positions because we care really very much about uh, not incurring big losses. Obviously, that can be quite frustrating because there are situations then when you get stopped out at the wrong time. But if you really think long term, that's, that's crucial because... Sooner or later, there will be again a phase like in 2008 or from 2000 till 2003 or this year where you have a severe market correction. If you do not have stop losses in place, I mean, you're, you can incur really significant losses. So that's really stock specific, right? So the criteria, the stop loss, and then on a portfolio level, the way we approach uh, risk management is that obviously on one hand, we have both long and short ideas that have on their own merit work. The other very crucial concept that we apply, and I think when you look at all the outstanding investors or let's say super traders, I would say like Stanley Druckenmiller, right? What they do is they have this dynamic uh, portfolio exposure, meaning that first you want to build up a, a profit buffer and once you have a profit buffer built up, then you can start increasing your risk if there are the right opportunities. And I think that is very important. Then what you're risking is only the profit you have made. Obviously, if you have a nice profit and there's the right opportunity set, right, then you can really make a lot of money. For example, like us this year, where Early on in the year, we had a very nice profit. And then obviously, once you have a nice profit, you have far more confidence to, for example, in July, then when the market is completely oversold, go long and buy completely oversold rebound situations. So that is 
on a portfolio level how we, we approach risk management. I've seen that you've managed to achieve about 51% return so far this year. Where have you uh, found the opportunities for this year? What parts of the market is um, attracting you? So, I mean, this year, uh, we really found those kind of opportunities, both on the long and on the short side. So it's not that we only were making a lot of money on the short side, but as well, we, we had a lot of very strong rebound situations where we made a lot of money. And it's really up across different sectors and industries. So it's it's not just like one trade, but really we were slightly down in January. But since since February, we up uh, every month consistently, right? Because we found so many great opportunities in our different patterns, both on the you know the energy space. Then you know we were short uh, copper stocks. We catch this rebound really well. The reason one uh, in different tech companies that we then exited again. Currently, for example, we we have quite some exposure to renewable energy companies and uh, lithium producers that uh, performed really well. So it's really very broad based. Obviously, on the short side as well, we you know we we shorted some of those completely overvalued tech companies, uh, RKTF and so on. So if we can jump into your portfolio, if we may, um, can you talk about two stocks that you're really bullish on at the moment? And what was your thesis for investing? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, I have to tell, right, uh, most crucially is always that uh, uh, when you hear stock recommendations, uh, it's not really a recommendation. You should always do your own work, right? our approach is we're very much uh, risk management focused, right? That means that, you know, I can change my opinion very fast. If a stock price doesn't perform the way I want it to perform, I'm very fast in, in cutting, right? For that reason, it's always good to know that you should always take every stock recommendation with a grain of salt. Uh, and especially, I mean, when I talk about those, I want to give a little bit the general framework i think one should think about those opportunities because the way we approach those companies is that i mean they are commodity companies and you have to understand the the underlying drivers of those commodities and one should always follow those then in order to think whether it's a good buy or sell currently the way we see it for those companies we see very strong fundamentals and the company i wanted to talk about is um, one of them is Daco renewable energy which is polysilicon producer in china with all commodity companies it is really crucial to understand that obviously what you have to look at is what is the price of the commodity in this case polysilicon what is the expected production increases over the coming years and what are their costs when you look at those factors then it's relatively easy to understand whether a company you know is a good investment or not often one as well has to be extremely cautious with commodity producers the mistake one can easily make uh, with commodity producers is that when the profitability is very high as it is as well with those companies they might seem like a clear buy, 
but in fact it can be you know wrong signal in the sense that you know often historically when you bought commodities like uh, you know copper or you know oil in 2008 right often then the profit profitability of those companies is high but it's because the underlying commodity price is very high and the big question then is really is it sustainable and if it's not then you have to be in fact if valuations are very low it's time to sell with those companies like Darko, right i think the the valuations are extremely low i mean it's just incredible the trend that we see to renewable energy is a very long term trend and for that reason i think uh, this the normal framework does not really you know apply but obviously i could be wrong when you look at um, polysilicon which is the the most important uh, or one of the most important ingredients for the for the solar energy right the PV cells, right? When you look historically, right, you know, we have seen a massive uh, decrease in the costs. In 2008, at the peak, one, one kilogram of polysilicon at the peak cost about 475 US dollars. And it came down over, you know, the last um, 14 years because the, the ramp up in China was so massive. Only like one year ago, right? the price of polysilicone was about $10 per kilogram. What we see, for example, with, with Darko is, I mean, they, in this industry, they're one of the cost leaders. I mean, that's one thing they do. It's, it's polysilicone. They really focus on polysilicone. And there are many other Chinese companies that do polysilicone, but they do also other stuff like fertilizers or nutrition and other stuff that has not much to do with uh, solar energy. But their strategy is really they want to be a cost leader. They only focus on this product. And their cash costs are about $7 per kilogram, right? And now here's the beauty about this uh, company. Like one year ago, the price of polysilicon was about $10. The costs were about $6 at that time. So they had about a profit of, let's say, $3, $4, right? And now the price of polysilicon is almost $40. So the profit went up like almost 900%, right? The big question now is obviously, is this price sustainable, right? And what we see currently in the world, what's going on with those high electricity prices, this massive um, support from governments for solar, etc. There's a high chance that, you know, those high prices will be sustainable, right? For some longer time. The interesting thing then obviously about this company is that at the current stage, right, the company is uh, is trading at a P of less than 2.5 times for this year, right? And that despite the fact that they're increasing production by about 50% or they increase production by about 50% this year, they will increase production by another 50% next year and then another 50% in 2024. So they will go from 80,000 tons last year to about 270,000 tons in 2024. So even if the polysilicon prices will come down, even that they have this high production increase, one can expect that you know the profitability goes up. Obviously, if you see a massive decrease in, in the price of polysilicon, then you know it might be that profits come down, right? 
personally, I don't expect because, as I said, right, uh, I mean, polysilicon prices related with the price of models, PV models, right, in the world where we are currently doesn't seem that this will happen anytime soon. Obviously, maybe the world looks quite different, let's say three years, at least for next year and then two years, there's a high chance that prices will stay relatively high. And obviously, the company is just printing money. Now they announced the share buyback. The market cap of the company is about 5 billion US dollars. The cash and balance sheet they have is more than, I think, 3.3 at the end of last quarter. So you see a company that is, has very strong growth. Profit is profiting from a trend that is expected to continue. The reason why the valuation is, is that low is because of the US-China tensions. If obviously those were to improve, I mean, uh, then there's massive upside uh, optionality, I would say. The second one is uh, Alchem. It's also a commodity company. What they produce is uh, lithium. Here, obviously, it's quite similar to Darko in the sense that we see this very strong trend in uh, EV mobility. So electric vehicles, what we have seen over the last year was a massive increase, obviously, of, of lithium prices. So they, they went up from about $17,000 last year to about $70,000 now. Given what's going on globally and especially now with the U.S. Uh, inflation reduction bill, there's a very high chance as well that uh, those high lithium prices will stay high for longer. And for that reason, the underlying trend is very strong. But here as well, what is so exciting about um, this company is the general trend we see here on one hand with, uh, with the production increase and the, the costs they have. Production there is as well expected to triple about 2026. Currently, they have about a market share of 10%. There are not that many big players uh, in the lithium space. So they're one of the bigger companies there. The margins there are just uh, amazing. Obviously, long term, there will, be, there will be strong capacity increases as well. The reality is that probably demand will, will be stronger, at least for several years, than, uh, than supply, especially because because of uh, you know ESG and so on, given there is more and more regulation uh, where lithium can be mined and how it is mined, how it is taxed and so on. So for that reason, Alchem is probably one of the, the best companies in the space because they uh, it's an Australian company. They have production sites in Australia, Argentina. So they in those jurisdictions, especially Australia, that is less prone to government policies, for example, than other companies that are active uh, in Chile, right, where there's a lot of political uncertainty in terms of uh, how the, the future looks like in terms of taxation and so on. As I mentioned, right, the carbonite price, the lithium carbonite price is currently at about uh, $70,000 per ton, and their cash costs are about $4,000 per ton. So, I mean, it's just, they're just printing money. In our model, right, when we assume that prices are coming down for lithium, 
over the coming years, then, uh, you know, valuation is very attractive. I mean, less than uh, five times P. So, I mean, we, we see a lot of, uh, you know, and obviously if we're in a more of a blue, blue sky scenario where lithium prices do not come down, but they stay stable because we see uh, currently quite a strong deficit, then obviously there's massive upside. In general here as well, it's most very crucial to know the way you have to invest in those kind of companies is obviously you want to follow the underlying drivers. You don't want to buy uh, overextended prices. So it's crucial to, to really be cautious when you buy and then really manage the position size accordingly. So have a big position size when the risk reward is very good. And then obviously when something is uh, you know, very overextended, etc., then uh, reduce position size. You know, those areas, I would say, renewable energy, lithium are areas where you can make a lot of money in the coming years uh, if you manage the risk correctly and uh, wait for the right opportunity then either to increase your position or then obviously take some profits. Do both these companies you've talked about, are they, do they make up quite a big percentage of your portfolio? Or have you been selling a little bit off as it's been rising? The way I invest is always, um, I'm very worried about losing money and it's our top priority. And obviously we're in a bear market. So in general, we have been yeah, quite cautious. So we built, we had quite a big position. We obviously reduced them given that they have run up quite a bit. We now wait again for a good price to, to increase the position. Yes. Obviously, we can be wrong and uh, this, those, those prices go up much further. But uh, our approach is really to you know, avoid big drawdowns. Thanks for uh, talking us through your thesis on those two companies. Uh, we're coming up to time now, but where can listeners go to find out more information about you? Sure. So on one hand, uh, obviously on our website, which is www.arinvestments.com and as well on uh, LinkedIn. People can find me there. Sometimes I post uh, information about us or ideas on LinkedIn as well. Christian, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure to listen to you. Yeah, thanks to you. Thanks for having me.